junior high school. Uh, for some of y'all, that would be college. But I uh, had those flashbacks. That was actually, it was a powerful song. It's considered sort of one of the very first power ballad songs of the 1980s. And I didn't know this. That was actually Journey's most popular song on the Billboard charts that they ever did. Now, the reason, one of the reasons why the song is popular is because of the words, and it's talking about a restored love. And so as I was, as if we were as working on a message, we're talking about restoration, a restored love, I can't think of a, of a, better, a better thing to look to in restoration than Scripture. And so today what we're going to be doing is we're going to take a look at a story about restoration. About, about a God who whenever he looks at people, he looks at us and he opens up his arms to us in order to receive us into his love and into his care. And so today in the scripture, we're going to see the, the story told, the parable told, about a, a son who is in need of restoration. It's a story you're very familiar with. It is the story of the prodigal son. And by the time you get to the end of the story, you see that his dad was waiting for him with open arms to receive him. But the son had to go through a journey in order to find restoration. And I really believe this. I believe there are a lot of us who are on a journey of restoration, but like the prodigal son, we just don't know. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to take a look at this journey he was on and see how it played out in his life. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to look at me in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at verse number 11. At the story of the prodigal son. Now, if you read through the, the, the whole book or the whole chapter of Luke 15, you'll see that in Luke 15, that Jesus tells three different parables. And he talks about lost things in Luke 15. He talks about a lost sheep. There's a story of a lost sheep. There's a story of a lost coin. And in the section we're looking at right now is the, the story of a lost son. And so Jesus' motivation for talking about lost things is interesting. It, it goes back to the first couple of verses of chapter 15. Uh, chapter 15, at the beginning, it says, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, or to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees were complaining, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Now, the religious leaders of the day, they did not understand Jesus. They didn't understand the people he associated with. They didn't understand the people that he was reaching out to. He was reaching out to sinners, reaching out to tax collectors. And when he came to them, he came to them with open arms. And, and the religious leaders were confused by this. And so that's why Jesus, he tells the story of lost things. And he talks about the lost coin and lost sheep and a lost son. And what he's doing in telling these stories is he's letting us know that even though we might get far away from God, that we are never beyond the reach of God. And so today we're going to see a story of restoration. And we're going to see a story of a lost son and the journey he took to find redemption. Now, it's interesting, the way his journey to redemption began is not the typical way you think it would begin. You see, the first, the first step on his journey to redemption began with defiance. Before the son ever was defined to find redemption, his journey began with him being defiant. And I want you to look with me in verse number 11. So this is Jesus. He's telling the story. And he said, the man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I am coming to me. 
And so he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had. And he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. And then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Alright, now the son's journey to redemption, where it all really began for him, is it began for him when he had a spirit of defiance. And then we're told, we see this defiance in verse number 11, a couple verses later, for two sons, and the younger son came to his dad and said, Dad, I want you right now to give me my inheritance. Now, the older son would always receive twice the portion of an inheritance that his younger brother would. Um, we're, we're told this in Deuteronomy 21, 17. It says, he must acknowledge the firstborn, a son of an unloved wife, and he's to give the oldest two shares of his estate. For he is the first fruits of his virility. He has the rights of the firstborn. So a firstborn son would get twice the share of the inheritance. A younger son wouldn't get as much. And so it's the younger son who came to his father in this story. says, Dad, give me my inheritance. Okay, now I'm going to ask you a question. Typically, when do people receive an inheritance or the inheritance from their parents? After death, right? So you die and then you get the inheritance. Okay, so the son, of course, that dies, he comes to him and says, Dad, give me my inheritance. Now, this was tremendously an uncouth practice. Basically, what the younger son is telling his dad is, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead now. We're we talking about defiance. I mean, this is a spirit of defiance. It's like, Dad, I wish you weren't around, so give me what I have coming to me right now. Now, the dad didn't have to give that to his son. He didn't have to respond to his son in this way. But the idea here is that the son had been asking over and over again for that which the father didn't want to do. And so there came a time when the father just said, you know what, I'm going to turn you over to your own desires, and we're going to let it play out from there. And you know, God, God this is y'all, this is a picture of God and man in this story. The Father is God, and the Son is us. And you know, whenever we come to God and we demand of God things that are outside the purview of God, there's going to be a day when God will say, I will allow you to go your own way. I will allow you to do and to live like you want to live if you're going to ignore me. But there are consequences that come with that. In Romans 1, 20-24, it, it speaks of, of this idea of being turned over to your own desires. It says, speaking of God, it says, His invisible attributes, that is His eternal power and divine nature, they've been seen since the creation of the world. Being understood through what He has made. As a result, people are without excuse, in other words, to the knowledge of God. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God showed gratitude. It says, instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened and claiming to be wise. It says, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, forfeited animals, and reptiles. Here's the key part. Therefore, God delivered them over to the cravings of their hearts, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve something created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. 
So God, God will turn us over to our own desires eventually. That's what happened to the son in our text. The son in our text, he just, he just wanted more. Like, Dad, I want more money. I, I want to live like I want to. I want, I want more license, more freedom to do whatever, I, whatever it is that I want. And, and the son, he didn't just ask for a portion of his inheritance. He said, I want it all. Give it all to me. It's tremendously selfish. Tremendously defiant. He ignored his father's instruction. And just days after he got his inheritance, the Bible says the son, he moved to a distant land outside the blessings of his father. And he lived, in, one, one of my translations says he lived in riotous living. Verse number 13 says it didn't take him long to squander everything his father had given him. That word squander, it means to take something and to just throw it away. So the son did. What did he throw it away on? The stuff that pleases man in pleasure. Verse number 30 says he, he there's, there's a riotous living. He spent all his money on prostitutes. And, and here's what's interesting to me. The, the, that he spent his money on the stuff the world says will make you happy. But you were ended up. He spent all the stuff on what the world said would make him happy. And we're told he ended up in a pig pen. Now, I don't have anything against pigs. I like bacon, just like everybody else. But you have to remember the story. This is a Jewish man. Now, now, for the Jews, pigs were unclean. You didn't even get around pigs. This man was in such a desperate situation that he ends up in a pig pen, not just ends up in a pig pen, but he ends up in a pig pen wishing that he could eat what the pigs were eating. That's gross. Guys, when you go after your own wants and desires, when I go after my own wants and desires, that's where you will end up every time. You will end up Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Now, the father knew what was best for his son, but his son refused to listen. And the result of that is he ended up in a place where he didn't think there's going to be, be any return. See, whenever we follow our own ways, when we go outside of God's prayer, we go outside of God's law, but we end up in trouble every time. Let me, try, let me try to give you an example of this. Now, for those of you who live like in the Long Creek area, that's where I live, uh, there are times whenever I, I need to get over to Farrow Road. Now, if I'm going to go to Farrow Road, then you kind of have to take a long way around to get there. But there's this little cut-through road. Y'all know that road? Hobart Road. The road of all roads. Are they ever going to pay that road? I mean, after today, if you ever ride on Hobart Road after a nice, heavy rain, it is like riding over like a rickety, uh, you know, um, what do you call it? Roller coaster ride. It is awful. But here's what I learned. If you want to get over that road without without being beat to death going across the road, if you go about 30 or 40 miles an hour, it's a little bit smoother of a ride. I'm not saying do that. And that's what Emily told me. <laughs> but here's the problem. It's hard to maintain 30 or 40 on that road because there's, there's two stop signs on that road, right? It's two railroad tracks. And here's the other thing. Why don't they have a railroad gate there. Crazy. Now, now normally, and I'll just be, I'm going to be honest with y'all, I do not, I'm seriously, I do not recommend this. There are times when I'll just sort of float through it. Because, you know, when you go slower, you just, I mean, I'm serious. It just beats your car to death. So, you know, you see the stops on, I'm looking, and you just kind of cruise right on through those. And I've watched y'all do the same thing. So every one of y'all runs out of those two stop signs. But it just happened one day. I was listening to the radio. I was driving into the first stop sign. And for some reason, I stopped at the stop sign. And when I did, a train came just whipping by. I did not even hear it. I didn't see it. 
I mean, it just absent after that, you know, I stopped those stop signs. There's a reason for those stop signs. You're to stop because there's a train coming. Now, if I had lived and done what's typically in my nature, I would have flown into that sign and I would be a squash bug on the front of the train today. I'm not lying. Now, that's what happens. When you choose to go your own way, it looks good, but its way always will lead to death. And I say, well, I run that stop sign all the time. I've been pit. Not yet you haven't, but you will be. So that's a reason for that stop sign. Now, that's the same thing with the sun here. The sun was driving through, floating through life on his own, but there was coming a day of reckoning. Now, before restoration was going to come, it's interesting to me that part of this journey was defiance. There's some of you, and you're on that first part of your journey. You're, you're defiant that God wants you to live. You might think, well, I'm not that. It's just a little bit of defiance. You know, it doesn't matter. It's just defiance is defiance. That you don't want to stay in that position always. Now, now here's what happened to the son. He was in a... His journey began with defiance, but another step in his journey, after defiance, there came another step, and it was desperation. That's one thing that I, I think is interesting. Before this young man was ever going to find redemption, he went through defiance first, but it led him to desperation. And desperation, believe it or not, can be a good place to get to. And that's what happened in the story. Now look with me in verse number 17. It says, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am, I'm dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. That's man is desperate. I, I think the most important, the important, phrase, most important sentence or phrase found in this whole story of the prodigal son is verse number 19, where it says this, when he came to his senses. You know, our nature is to live in rebellion. It's my nature, and it's your nature. You know, we, none of us like it when somebody tells us what we're supposed to do, even if it's, even if it's good for you. If somebody starts telling you what to do, our natural reaction is sort of freeze up, is to block them off, say, so I don't care what you're saying, nobody's going to tell me what to do. And so that, that is our, our natural inclination. And that, that's what sin is like. Sin is just like a, it's, it's a defiance of logic and reason. King Solomon put it well when he said this in Ecclesiastes 9.3. He said, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. And insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Isn't that interesting? It says your hearts are evil and you're insane. Now when I'm left, left my, own, my own devices... I make crazy, stupid decisions. That, that's what this young man did. So, Dad, give me, give me all you've got. Give me my inheritance right now. I don't know how old he was. I'm sure he was fairly young. Didn't have a family yet. Give me my inheritance now, and I'm going to blow it all right now. Now, you know, in the short term, like that, is, that would be a blast. I'm going I'm to go ahead and just take out my retirement now, and I'm going to blow every bit of it six weeks. Like, you mean like that would be fun until six weeks was up, right? And you're like, what have I done? Okay, that's where the son is. He says, hey, hey, give it to me now. He's defiant, and then he blows it all, and all of a sudden, he is desperate. Now, sin is fun for time. It's not sure that it's exhilarating. 
not another personal experience. It's a lot of fun. But there comes a day of reckoning. You know, there, there comes a time when, uh, you know what, now, is it, now it's time to pay the, the Grim Reaper. And that's not, that's not fun. I'm sure jumping out of an airplane, that is exhilarating. But if you don't have on a parachute, that, it, it's a little bit, it's a little short-lived. You're like, well, this is really fun, but the ground's coming. And, and then whenever you recognize that, you start flailing around looking for something to stop the fall. That's where the sun is in our text. He's blown everything that he's got, and now he's recognizing it, and he's flailing around looking for anything that's going to stop the fall. It is here at this point that he has become desperate. And he's so desperate that, that he began to realize, even my father's servants, they live better than I do. I mean, he's coming to a place where he's like, you know what, I'm ready to eat crow. I'm ready to go back to my dad and tell my dad that I've messed up. And it wasn't that he just got so desperate that he was willing to try anything. It's when he became desperate, he began to realize the depth of his wrongness. That's why he said in verse number 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's like he's going to go back to his dad and say, Dad, I have forfeited my right to be called your son because of the way I've lived. And Dad, if, if you would have mercy on me. I'd even come into your family just simply as a higher hand. Now, in the first thing he gets in trouble, and the first thing he does is he begins to think back to his father. And I think, like, well, why didn't he call out to his friends? Well, because his friends were gone. You, know, you, you run out, you run out of money, you run out of all the fun stuff, and times get tough. But he's alone. He couldn't even get anybody to give him pit food. I mean, he was that desperate. He recognized his condition. Someone once wrote, once wrote, seeing where you are is always the first step in getting to some other place. The, the son finally recognized his predicament. He recognized, you know what, I, I'm in trouble. And he knew that things were going to change, that he had to be willing to live in a different way. He had to be willing to humble himself. Now, now here's a question for you and for me. Do you, do you recognize where you are today? Do you understand what kind of position you're in today. Maybe you've run away from God's leadership. Do you recognize that? Because if, if you recognize that, then I'm hoping that, that you and I can look at the story and say, if I'm, if I'm away from God, I know where eventually this is going to lead. It, it's going to lead me into a place that is not satisfactory. It's going to lead me into a place that is destructive and it hurts. Now, the world tries to sell me stuff, saying, if you live for you, the world can comfort you. It, it offers you something like that. I'm going to give you 
it's not, it's not going to satisfy you. It, it's not going to, it's not going to, you're not, you're not going to put that coat on and go, gosh, I just, I feel lonely. It's not going to happen. But that, that's the world. And so, so what God does is God says, I am offering you something that is legitimate. I am offering you something that will take away your loneliness. I will give you grace. And that's when the son's life began to change, when he became desperate. That's first step in his journey to redemption. There's defiance, and then he became desperate. But when he became desperate, it is then that he was going to be able to experience this on his journey to redemption, and that is deliverance. He had to go through those steps where he ever finds this place. And then we see this in verse number 20. It says, so he got up, he went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I said against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father told the slaves, quick, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet to bring the fattened calf and slaughter and let's celebrate the feast because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. That, those are the, the best part of the story. So the son, he's, he's finally, he's, he's defiant, he becomes desperate, and he becomes so desperate, he says, I'm going to go to the father. And here's the cool part of the story. It says, when he was a long way off, says the father saw him. I love that part. And here's what I like about that part of the story. Why did the father see him when he was a long way off? He'd been gone for a while. Basically, the signal ring, it was like that. It was like having access to the father's bank account. 
gave you power. So, son, I mean, I've, I've given you access to my bank account. What is mine is yours. When he put shoes on his feet, the only people who walked around barefoot during this day slaves. If you wore shoes, it meant that, that, that you were not a slave. The father said, put shoes on him. This is my son. And here's what I like about this. That the son did not do anything to earn the favor of the father. The father, in his grace, restored the son. And he will do that with you. See, we, we can't prove ourselves to God and say, God, I've done so many things. I've earned your good favor. God, in his grace and mercy, restores his people. The son just simply had to put himself at the feet of the father. And when he did, the father restored him. The father delivered him. Luke 15, 4-7 says, What man among you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them? Does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field? And go after the lost one until he finds him. And when he is found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I found the lost sheep. And I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Father's looking for you. The question is, are you, are, you on, are you on the road to redemption? I guess a lot of us are on that road to redemption. We just don't know it, much like son here. But you know, whenever you live in defiance, there's going to be a time when you're going to become desperate. And when you become desperate, that's when you are going to have the opportunity to see the purpose. Do you need to be restored? And I want you to know, I want you to know there is a father who is looking for you. And he stands with his arms open. And he's waiting to receive clean you up from your sin, to put on a robe of righteousness to cover your sin, to put on shoes, shoes on your feet, to symbolize that you are part of the family of God. He's looking for you. The question is, 